What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. We've all heard the phrase, money can't buy happiness. But is it true? Well, when you look at the research on wealth, there's a lot of conflicting data. On one hand, living in extreme poverty makes it difficult, although not impossible, to create sustained happiness. On the other hand, we know that ever-increasing income has diminishing returns on our life satisfaction. In fact, over the course of the pandemic, I profiled two stories of multi-billionaires whose lives fell apart once they were isolated with only their large savings account to keep them company. So what's the real story? Coming up this week on the Life Amplified podcast, I'll share some interesting new research that reveals the number one happiness hack of millionaires and it has nothing to do with money. Thanks for joining me. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. One of the biggest mistakes when I was a young 20 and 30-something media executive climbing the corporate ladder, uh, like many people, I used to tell myself, man, you know, I- I'm doing well, but I'll be really happy when I make more money. You know, I think of like starting out in, in my radio career and I had my first like big city radio job in Cleveland around 1999 and I think I was making $50,000 at that point in my life as like a a 22 year old kid and man uh, my goal was always if I get to six figures I'm really going to be happy and within about 18 months by the time I was 24 I got there and then what happened right Ah, went and bought myself a Lexus because, you know, when you're in your early 20s and you're making six figures, why not? Then it became, well, if I could just get to, you know, closer to 150,000, I'll be really happy. And of course, I got there and then I bought the home in the gated community and, you know, continued to work and climb the ladder. But that high of having the nice house wore off. And then I was like, well, you know, if I could just get to 200,000, and there was one year in my corporate career where I got there, but by then I was taking on so much work, so much responsibility, so much stress and hustle just to you know manage multiple radio stations and hit my performance incentives. I got there and I realized, man, like my health kind of sucks. I'm on blood pressure medication. Uh, why is my cholesterol so high? <laughs> why do I not like the person I see when I look in the mirror? And of course, there I was, you know, multiple six-figure earner, but I wasn't really satisfied. 
by any uh, by anything that was happening in my life. And I think that that's a common theme for a lot of high performers. I always call it the next big thing syndrome. We think that the next level of wealth is going to unlock our happiness. And if you look at all the research that's out there, it's actually not the case. Uh, Harvard researchers call this process of the hedonic treadmill, right? That we're trying to consume our happiness in the world. So you work and work to get to a next level in your career. And let's say you're the person you finally hit six figures or whatever your number is. And now instead of like going out to eat at the Outback Steakhouse, oh girl, you can get to Morton's. You can go to Ruth Chris. And that feels really good, right? It feels expansive the first one or two times you go. But when we consider what has helped human beings survive millions of years of changes, ice ages, and so on and so forth, it's evolution. So quickly as we elevate to that new level of income, it feels good for a moment, but we quickly adapt. And now it's an expectation. It's no longer special. But we keep chasing that high, that dopamine hit that comes from being able to afford nice things. So what happens? We have to work harder, strive more, get to a next level of income. Then you buy the nicer car, the bigger house to keep up with the Joneses on Instagram. But after a while, you settle into that new level and you just keep chasing, right? Each new level of money that you make, you tend to spend more money, which means you need to work harder to get to the next level. And that becomes exhausting. And that is what the researchers call the hedonic treadmill. It's this idea of chasing happiness through money, but never actually getting there long term. And boy, that was a big theme of my corporate career. And I'll be honest, uh, I took a lot of that with me when even once I found my purpose and I started my coaching business, I was so tied up in this idea of, well, I need to make more money to be successful. And then once I prove that I can make money away from corporate America, I'll be really, really happy and generally just not a good life approach. <laughs> you know? I also burned myself out even as an entrepreneur in 2018. So what does all this have to do with you? And what I'm going to share this week ties in with many of the concepts that we've talked about in prior podcasts. If you go back to January, I gave you a list of questions that you should consider anytime you're chasing a new goal. And a, a big theme of that podcast, it's not so much the things we're chasing as much as why we're chasing it. Because this is what Harvard tells us. So Harvard did an amazing study with researchers in the Netherlands and what they wanted to find out. The happy millionaires, the ones who are thriving and loving life, what are they doing differently than the people who are less happy? And it has everything to do with time. Now, in this study... They surveyed 863 Dutch millionaires who had an average of around $2.7 million in assets. They also gave the same questionnaire to 1,200 other people who were selected to be representative of the Dutch population. These people had an average wealth of about $36,000. Everybody was asked to indicate how satisfied they were with their life on a scale of 1 to 10 and how they spent their free time. Now, this was broken out into lots of categories. There was a category for work and commuting. 
How much time do you spend in work and in your commute? There was also time for eating. There was a category of necessities. Think of that as basic day-to-day life duties, looking after your children, cooking, shopping, housework. And then they also looked at free time, but they broke it out into two different categories, active leisure and passive leisure. And here's what the study shows us. Millionaires, by and large, super high-achieving, successful people spend their time in similar ways to everybody else. For example, they tend to work a lot. And in cases where they still have a commute and they're not working from home, they have long commutes also. So millionaires, on average, spend about 30% of their day working and commuting as opposed to about 25% of the time for everybody else. There were also only negligible differences in necessities. Believe it or not, millionaires spend just as much time shopping and cooking as other people, and they only spend slightly less time on childcare and cleaning chores around the house. But the real difference was in free time. It seems that millionaires and non-millionaires both spent about 46% of their day on leisure activities. However, the non-millionaires like to lie on the couch, they like to binge watch Netflix, they like to doom scroll through social media. Millionaires, on the other hand, spend most of their free time being active. 22% of their free time was spent moving around, playing sports, pursuing creative hobbies that add balance to their life. They did more volunteer work. For everyone else, it was just under 16% of their free time was spent actively. So let's break this out into real numbers. It means the happiest millionaires, on average, spend about a good half hour every day being more active than everybody else. In fact, 19 minutes out of that were spent on sports and exercise alone. So that is the big key takeaway here. The millionaire happiness hack is actually not about money. It's more about active free time. And the millionaires who were engaged in it were significantly more satisfied than everyone else, including other millionaires that were less engaged in these active activities. So if active free time is the name of the game and that is gonna be rocket fuel for your life satisfaction, I wanna give you four actionable tips that you can walk away with to create more of it in your life. Number one, you have gotta take an inventory of how you're spending your free time and focus on this question. Am I nourishing myself or am I numbing out? And there is a big difference on that. The whole self-care revolution in some ways has turned into an isolation and sabotage revolution for many people. You know, I think of the friend of mine who is incredibly successful in her career. She is the breadwinner of her family. She is uh, doing really well in a competitive industry uh, and continuing to win. And at the end of the day, she says she comes home and the only thing that she has time for is to pour a couple glasses of wine, watch a 90-day fiancé, and scroll on Instagram. And for her, that is her time to sort of regenerate and self-charge. And she thinks it's self-love, 
but the wine makes her sleepy. The phone is keeping her from connecting with her husband and her children. And she doesn't really feel good the next day, right? Like if you're taking out a bottle of wine and sleeping off the wine hangover, it's not necessarily uh, an inner environment that is going to have you raring to go and ready to conquer the world the next morning. So create a list in your journal of all the ways you're spending your free time. And what are the things that are nourishing to you that feed your spirit? Is there quality time with the people that you love? Do you have some creative pursuits that light you up, that add balance to your life away from work? What is your level of physical activity? Or are you just trying to isolate, numb out, and not feel the stress in your life? Are you in avoidance with some of the relationships where you're trying to avoid conflict and It's easier just to be buried in your laptop or scrolling through Facebook. Only you know the answer for sure, but I think that that is the first step to help you move forward because we can't manage what we cannot measure. So I want you to list all of your activities, your free time activities, and score them on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being this is something that I'm using to numb out. And 10 being, this is something that nourishes me, that feeds my spirit. And then create an average of all those scores. That is your average amount of amplification in your own life. Number two, put a win on the board first thing in the morning. How often do you hit snooze six times, then you roll out of bed, you're pressed for time, you're trying to maybe make some lunch for the kids, you're answering some work emails, trying to look presentable for, you know, for work if you have to be in the office or at the very least be presentable from the torso up for your Zoom calls that day and you haven't even stopped to consider, what do I need to get done for me today? What are my personal goals, even away from work? What is the best use of my time? You know, it's really been one of the biggest things that's helped me transform my life this morning I was up at 5.55. I was in the gym with my trainer at 6.45. So I was starting out with some physical activity. I was nourishing my body. Uh, I came home. I took my dog on a walk, which was just some added physical activity. Uh, I ate a healthy breakfast this morning, again, taking care of my body. And I knocked out, you know, for my business, two social media posts. uh, And all that was done before 9.30 this morning. Like, if that's where my work ended for the day, I felt like I had already won the day, right? Uh, So what are the things for you that would be a win in your life? If you're somebody who fancies yourself a writer or maybe you want to start a podcast, maybe your first 30 minutes of the day is just engaging in that creative pursuit. I know a New York Times bestselling author who literally just wrote his book in 500-word chunks. He woke up for an hour uh, early every day and just cranked out 45 minutes of straight writing. He took a five-minute break, and then he went back and edited that 500 words, and he did that day after day until his book was done. But that is a way that you can put a win on the board. This is why so many other people just say, hey, make your bed first thing in the morning. It's getting you in integrity and getting you in action. Uh, And what's right for you, whether it's exercise or creative time, 
uh, perhaps some spiritual connection time, meditation or prayer, really depends on what you need most. My routine can look very different day to day. I'm not always in the gym first thing at 6.45. There's sometimes when I just need to, you know, go sit outside and, and do some journaling, you know, if I'm feeling really emotionally worked up. But know what it is you need and put the win on the board. Let's talk about the number three step to maximize your active free time and in the process, increase your happiness. This is the pivot, my friends. Pivot toward your purpose. The data from Gallup hasn't really changed much in 20 years. 85% of the workforce is pretty disengaged with their job. They're going through the motions in a job where they love the paycheck, but they hate the work. And guess what? Being in a toxic work environment, sitting at somebody else's desk, doing somebody else's work, being out of alignment with your purpose is going to take a toll on you. It is an exhausting way to live. And at the end of my corporate career, I was doing the same thing, coming home, pouring myself a few glasses of wine, uh, numbing out with television. I, you know, I had so many unhealthy coping mechanisms back in the day just to not even be present with the pain. And what I will tell you is, and this is what a lot of people talk about, and we've discussed on the podcast in the past, it's not so much like life-work balance, right? The successful model, and even Ariana Huffington is talking about this a lot lately over at her website, Thrive, it's life-work integration. When you are lit up with the work that you're doing and you are deeply connected to a sense of purpose, you can work 50 to 60 hours a week, but you are energized by that work. You come home and you bring that energy into your relationships. Your spouse, your kids, they're getting the best version of you and not the version that just says, oh, you know, mommy or daddy needs a drink tonight. You know, <laughs> your kids get that, right? So purposeful career is where it's at. And then when you are home and you are present and you've got on fire relationships with the people in your life, even if you're a single person, if you are out intentionally dating or you've got some amazing friendships that you're making time for, that energy feeds right back into your work life the next day. So it's not a seesaw. It's not a balance. It's more of a circle that, you know, this idea of work and life feeds one and the other. And the more you're connected to your purpose, the more energy that you're going to have for the other pursuits that really add meaning into your life. So those are the first three steps when we talk about maximizing your active free time and increasing your happiness, right? The millionaire mindset is number one, taking inventory of how I'm spending my free time. Am I nourishing myself or am I numbing out? Number two, putting that win on the board first thing in the morning. Mark Cuban talks about sleeping in his gym clothes. So he literally just has to get out of bed, put on some sneakers, and then he hits the gym immediately, right? He's going through his work emails while he's on the treadmill. Number three, pivot toward your purpose. It is hard to achieve lasting life satisfaction if you hate the work that you do every day. This is what my coaching programs are essentially about, helping you create that, that meaningful second act with more money, freedom, and fun. The fourth step is we want to start to create a plan for your money where you are using it in ways that will contribute to your happiness. There are ways 
that money will buy happiness, particularly if you're using it in ways that free up time for you. This is why, you know, for the past, I guess, five years of being an entrepreneur, investing in a housekeeper who shows up once a week is a non-negotiable for me. Like that frees up time that I would have to spend cleaning and I have no, I, I don't even want to mess with that, right? So for a relatively low cost, I can have somebody come over, take care of that for me, and it frees up more creative time for me to focus on the things that matter. Uh, investing in some sort of personal training or a gym membership, look, physical activity is where it's at. When we talk about active free time, Physical exercise and movement is definitely a part of that. And for those of you who are like, well, I have kids. I can't get to the gym in the morning. I have small children. Look, there are many gyms now that actually offer child care on site. They have people that will, you know, watch your kids and they've got an awesome playroom for them while you take care of yourself. And by the way, what a powerful example to set for your kids that physical health is now a priority in our family, and this is how we take care of ourselves and, and how we have the energy to love each other more. There's a really powerful example in that. Another strategy for using your money to buy happiness is to invest in yourself, right? It's not just about your physical health. What are the ways that you're investing in your emotional well-being? You know, is it, and what does that look like for you? Is it, you know, signing up at a yoga studio and having a membership there? Is it investing in personal development, going to a seminar, retreat, hiring a coach, some, some sort of program where you better get to know who you are away from your career? You know, most stuck people know what they do for a living, but they don't know who they are. Uh, that's certainly an option as well. You can also just invest in, in, in meaningful and challenging activities that allow you to pursue some level of mastery in a skill or a task, whether that's, you know, taking art classes. One of the things I've committed to this year uh, that totally lifted my mood at the end of last week, I was just feeling so heavy about all the world events and all the things happening in the Ukraine. And I was really just, you know, going through about a day and a half where I was struggling with my motivation, but I've invested in taking singing lessons again. Which, by the way, awesome way to regulate your vagus nerve and to calm your nervous system. Singing is a great way to do it. It just sort of stimulates that nerve in your body and helps you regulate emotionally. Uh, but that's uh, another area where I just made that a non-negotiable investment. Once a week, I, I go to see my teacher, Richard. He's awesome. I found like three higher notes in my range this year that I didn't even know I had, which you know, also is meaningful to me. It feels like I am pursuing mastery in an area of my life. So that is the big takeaways for you this week, that the millionaire mindset for more happiness is about how you're using your free time and realizing that free time is not created equally. There is passive free time, which is hanging out on the couch, binge-watching television, eating some potato chips, drinking some wine, and there is active free time where you are up, you are engaged, you are moving your body, uh, you are creatively stimulated. That's where we want to be. And those are the four steps 
that'll help you get there. Take that inventory. Are you nourishing or numbing out? Are you putting a win on the board first thing in the morning? Are you starting your day in a powerful way? Louise Hay was the one who said, how you start your day is how you live your day, and how you live your day is how you live your life. Uh, Are you pivoting toward your purpose, or are you presently engaged in a career that's really adding meaning to your life? And how are you using your money in smart ways that actually do buy happiness instead of temporary pleasure? I hope this serves you, and if you'd like to go a little bit deeper on this topic, if you're one of the people contemplating your reinvention out there in the great resignation, my coaching programs are the fastest way to help you break through. So many big wins happening in my coaching community. You can get more info on how we can work together and fill out your coaching application at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. If you're loving the podcast and it serves you, can you please screenshot this, upload it to Instagram. Be sure to tag me at CSC, Dan Mason. I will give you a shout out on a future podcast episode. And in the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.